Hey, thanks so much for checking out this message today. If you've been impacted in any way by what God is doing in and through Elevate Church, I'm personally asking you if you'd consider being a part of our year-end giving opportunity that we call the Kingdom Builders Offering. This is an over and above act of generosity that moves the needle in the areas of local expansion and national impact and global reach. We believe wholeheartedly that the best days of this church are still to come, that incredible opportunities are still ahead and that there is more ground for us to take back. And if God leads you to partner with us in this way, go to elevatechurch.com forward slash kingdom or you can simply follow the link below. Hey, thanks again for being on this journey with us. Man, I, I know that I'm not, you know, God doesn't have favorites, but I do. And it's the people that braved the snowstorm and showed up today. So you guys are my favorites. Hey, we are in this series, week two uh, of a series called A Church Of. And last week we talked about simplicity. This week I'm going to talk about intentionality because we are a church of intentionality. And so I'm going to zero in about uh, talking about that, but I think that sometimes we have series that people talk about for a long time, and this is going to be one of those. This is going to be one of those series that really helps to define who we are, where we are going, why it is we do, what we do. In fact, when people ever ask you from here on out, and they're like, hey, why does your church do you know, such and such? You can just say, hey, just watch the series. Just watch it. Why, why doesn't your church do, you know, such and such? Well, just watch the series. I'm just telling you, you just got to go and watch it because, again, we are going to bring some clarity. And I'm praying that a bunch of you get fired up and are chomping at the bit to be a part of this thing. Uh, and I would say this, if this is your church home, two things real quick. Number one, don't miss a week. Make sure that you are here for the next uh, a few weeks. It's all going to culminate in our kingdom builders offering. And so, man, I'm, I'm hoping that you're praying and preparing for that. Even now it's something that we mention, and then just ask you to ask God what he would have you do for our year end offering that goes to advance the kingdom here in Erie and beyond. And you know what I forgot to do church. Can you help me welcome everybody joining us online? I forgot about everybody online, even though you guys aren't in the room, man, we love you. And you're just as much a part of this family. And, um, but that happens on the first Sunday in December. And we just come and bring our very best gift back to God and say, thank you so much for the way that you've been faithful during this year. And we're looking forward to what God's gonna do in the next year. So I would say this, don't miss a week. And number two, bring somebody with you. Because I'm hoping that through this series, we are going to demolish some misconceptions about, about the church and about you know, what we are called to become. And if you are new here, lean in. Man, this is a great opportunity for you to kind of peek behind the curtain and see what it is, you know, this church is all about. Because we exist, write this down, here's a mission statement, to know God and make him known. And that's taken a little while to develop, because that's as simple as I can put it, to know God and make him known. And in one way or another, we talk about that often, but we don't always talk about how we're going to do that how we are going to, to put some guardrails, you know, and some boundaries around being able to fulfill that mission. What are the values that we're going to hold on to in order for us to arrive there? And, and I've spent a lot of time over the last year or so just praying, seeking God, doing some research, trying to define who it is that we are, who we're becoming, because I feel like here we are in year 10 of this church plant, and we're starting to get 
little bit. We still don't know what we're doing. You need to know that. But we're trying to figure some things out along the way and we're becoming our own. And in this next year, I mean, I do believe that God has some great things in store for us. But what does it look like for us to be a place that, that wants to, to know God, but also to make him, him known? What does it look like for us to be a front porch to prodigals? And I know as soon as I say that, maybe some of you are familiar with that term. Others of you are like, you know, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to unpack that today because there's this famous story found in Luke chapter 15. A lot of people call it the, the story of the prodigal son. And we're going to look at this story for the next few weeks. We've been in this chapter of Luke 15. And here's what you need to know about this story. It's not going to be boring because Rembrandt himself painted, you know, paintings on this story. Uh, it was it was Mark Twain. You know, one of the famous, most famous authors ever who said that this is the most important story that was ever written. Shakespeare wrote plays about this, this story. So there is a lot for us to examine in this text because there are actually two prodigals. In fact, I think a better title uh, might be the God of the prodigals. Because here's kind of a rundown. Uh, Jesus has been hanging out with the sinners and we kind of kicked it off last week and talked about how the religious people, you know, the religious elite were complaining that Jesus would hang out with such people, the sinners and the tax collectors. And so Jesus launches into these three stories that really reveal God's heart for humanity, really reveal God's heart for, for things that are separate from him, for, for lost things. And in this third parable, Third story, there's this younger son called the prodigal, right? He's a rebel. Uh, and there's this older brother who's also a prodigal and he is a rule keeper. So you have the rebel and you have the rule keeper or the self-righteous or the, the prideful son. Both are prodigals. And the rebel is kind of, he's gone off the deep end. He's gone crazy. He's made some bad decisions and he has physically separated himself from the father from the house. However, the older brother who stayed home, he's also separated from the father, not physically, but spiritually and emotionally through his, through his pride and through his self-righteousness. And we're going to get after it, but here's what I want us to see today is that the rebel, and we're going to zero in on him first, is able to return to the father. He's able to come home. And the question I've been asking is why? Why was he able to come home? Because there was a place that he could run to. And so here's what I thought. If we're going to actually be a place, be a home that people who are prodigals can run to, if we're actually going to be a front porch for prodigals where people can know God and make him known, then how do we do that? Because how many of you know a, a vision, a mission without a strategy is just a cool poster? I mean, it sounds good, right? We're going to know God and make God known. But if there's never any meat put to that, any structure put to that, then just because we say it on the, on the, the walls of the halls does not mean that's what's happening in the house. Are you with me? So how do we flesh this out? What does this look like? We want to have clarity on how exactly we're going to make this happen. And so here's what I realized after thinking and praying and, and seeking God, if we're not a place that welcomes home prodigals, then we can say all day long, we want to know God and make God known. But it's not who we are. If we haven't created an environment to do that. So every single one of us, our goal is to be a place that welcomes home prodigals, both the rebel and the, the prideful. 
both the rebel and the the rule keeper, the self-righteous, to be a front porch for prodigals and a back patio for the prideful. And today I want to talk about being a front porch for the prodigals. Next week, Pastor Will, he's going to bring a message about the, the back patio for the prideful, and you're not going to want to miss it. But Luke chapter 15, are you guys ready to go? Let's do it. There's half of you. Okay. We're going to get after it, and I'm going to set this up. Again, this story is probably familiar to many of you who have been around the church for a while. Uh, what's happened so far is the rebel went to his dad and said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. And this would be a Jewish patriarch, his dad. They were an estate owner. So this was a wealthy kid. This was a rich household. And what would happen is when the patriarch dies, the oldest son would get two thirds of the inheritance of the estate. And the younger son would cash in on a third. And so essentially by this younger son approaching the father and saying, hey, I want my inheritance. What he is saying is, dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you weren't, you know, alive anymore so I could take my share of the estate and the, the Jewish, you know, leaders and, and officials listening to this story, man, they would be shocked by that. But he takes his third, he takes off, he goes to the modern day equivalent of Vegas. He is living la vida loca, like he's going crazy. He spends the whole thing, you know, on prostitutes and partying. The Bible says on wild living, he ends up homeless. He ends up living with pigs, feeding the pigs, sleeping on the ground with pigs And the religious elite would hear that and they would think, man, this is as bad as it gets because this is as unkosher as it gets for a a Jewish Pharisee who is listening. And so one day the, the son comes to his senses, has this moment of clarity and realization that he is at the bottom. I mean, this right here, this is rock bottom. But how many of you know sometimes rock bottom is the best foundation for you to begin to build upon? Right, rock bottom can actually be the bedrock on which you can have a, a comeback in your life start to happen. And so this young boy, he is at rock bottom. He's got nothing left to lose. And so that's where we pick up the story. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Now he's rehearsing his apology. And some of us, man, we've been there, had to apologize for things, some decisions that we've made and just kind of playing it over and over in our mind. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Somebody say he returned home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Here's that rehearsed apology. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Put it on him. Get sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening because we're about to eat some filet. Come on. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. This son of mine was lost and he is now found. So the party began. The son takes his dad's money. He blows it. The Bible says he squanders it in in wild living. He's in this horrible situation and he decides to come home. And here's the question I've been asking. What was it? 
What was it that the son needed in order to be able to come home? Like, what was it that he needed to happen at the house? What did that environment look like so that he was, you know, able to have a home to run to? And so as he's deciding to, to return home, whether he should or not, what does he need? Like, what's going to make that possible? Because here's this young man. He's broken. He's hurting. He's, he's disconnected. He is disengaged. He is, um, he's, he's feeling ashamed. He's feeling guilty which some of you, if we're being honest, that's exactly the way that we came back to the father in that same kind of condition. I know that's true for my life. I was hurting. I was broken. I was lost. Something was missing the same condition as the son. And now for the, the next uh, few weeks, whenever I say the prodigal or the prodigal son, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about any man, woman, child, student who has decided to separate themselves from the father. That's what I'm referring to. And so what did this, this son, this prodigal son need in order to return home? And so I just started taking some notes down and jotting some ideas. And you don't have to write these down. They're not going to be up on the screen. But I, I think a prodigal needs to know that coming home is actually an option. It's actually an option that I could return home. Like, like if we don't think it's an option, we will never, you know, return home home, that I, that I could be accepted back home. I think he also needed when he got home truth and honesty. This guy did not need to show up and have someone just sweep under the rug his history, what he had, had done. Yeah, but Colby, I thought we're all about grace and forgiveness. How many of you know sweeping things under the rug is not grace? Wait, right. Grace is lifting up the rug, sweeping things out from underneath the rug, bringing them into the light so that you can work through that mess. That's not, that's not grace. Grace is, is bringing it out. The blood of Jesus does not just cover our sins. You need to know this. He also cleanses us. It's not just a covering. It's a cleansing. The Bible says he removes our sin as far as the East is from the West. So this kid didn't need someone who was afraid of his mess. He needed someone who was willing to give him truth and honesty someone to sweep it out. In fact, I'll, I'll ask you this. How many of you have, have sweep it under the rug kind of friends or sweep it out from the rug kind of friends? You know, the, you know the difference between the two, right? That's why we have brotherhood and sisterhood nights. One more week this week, shameless plug. Man, you gotta have people in your life who are willing to lift up the rug and sweep some stuff out with you and bring it into the light. But you also need to know that the dad wasn't mad. That's not mad. Uh, the father isn't mad at him. Can I tell you something? Most people will never run to the house if they believe the father is irate. The father's just looking down at them. That's just gonna, gonna berate them when they, when they get there. And they also needed to know in order to come home that life could be better. The life change was actually a possibility. And so as I'm thinking through, what does it look like? What does this child need in order to return home I realized that all these things were present at this father's house. Everything I just mentioned was present in, in order for the, the prodigal to come back. Without these, he doesn't come home. Without these, he might get to the, you know, the, the property line, but he does not come onto the property. He might look over the fence, but he never comes in. And can I tell you something, Elevate Church, without these things being present here, we will not be a front porch for the prodigals. And that's our goal. And so here's how we're going to say it. I want you to write these down and then we're going to talk through them one at a time that lost and found people. 
people from anywhere uh, and anyone, they will return home. We will be a front porch for prodigals if they are, number one, welcomed and wanted. We'll say that often. You're not just welcome here. You are wanted here. If they experience grace and truth. And if they feel known and needed. If we're going to be a place that prodigals can run to, a front porch for prodigals, then they need to know coming home is a possibility. They will be welcomed and wanted. They'll experience grace and truth. And they'll be known and needed. Number one, let's dive in. Welcome and wanted. Look at verse 20 again. It says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, he embraced him and he kissed him. How many of you know this right here is best case scenario? Like this is best possible case scenario for this son, is it not? Like he's rehearsing the, the apology. So he's going over and over in his mind, all the stuff that could happen when he gets home. He's probably thinking, man, as soon as I show up into town, you know, people could meet me at the, the edge of town and tell me I'm banished forever, which would have been, you know, the, the right thing to happen according to their customs and their laws. Or he could say, maybe I got past, you know, the edge of town and I made it to the father's house, to the doorstep. I knocked on the door and my dad answered the door, or my brother answered the door or a servant answered the door and they just ripped me, you know, from, you know, head to tail. Like, what are you doing here? How do you think you could come back? Why do you think this is okay? You ruined this family. You ruined this house. You made your bed. You go, you go lie in it, right? He has all this stuff going on his, in his mind, all these scenarios of what could happen. But what happens? He comes home and his father's there. And he sees him, it says, from a long way off. In fact, doesn't even let him get to the house completely. He runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He accepts him. And the first thing this rebel needs to know in order to, to come home is that he will be welcome and wanted. And Elevate Church, that's our first job. That's our first job, to let people know who are, who are visiting or who are guests or who, who feel far from God, that you are welcomed and wanted. Like before, before we worship, before we even open up God's word, before we, we gather together, people need to know that they're welcome and wanted here. So let me ask you this question. Are they? How are we doing? In fact, let's, let's go find out right now. Let's do this. Because sometimes you need to uh, investigate what you delegate, right? And so let's do this. I'm going to go out here. You guys stay in here. But you can follow me on that screen right there. We're going to go out here. Well, let's see if we're actually a welcoming and wanting kind of church. Uh, if we come out here, what did it say? It said the father saw him from a long way off. And so the first thing that we see when we are a long way off is we see our teams kind of waiting at the doors. Check out these amazing teams that we have here. Hey, how's it going? And the parking team, it all starts. We say this, that the invitation starts in the parking lot where people, somebody's pulling up right now. Let's all wave. How's it going? You're welcome. Because what happens is it says that, hey, when we wait, when our teams are out there greeting, even in the cold, it says that not only are you accepted here, but you're expected here. We've set the table for you. You are welcome and wanted. And then we see these amazing people. What's going on, Paul and Cheryl? Like amazing people greeting you, making you feel welcome, which by the way, every time you guys serve, and if this is your church family, should be regularly. 
You should be serving. Every time you serve, every time you smile, every time you welcome someone, you're letting them know they are accepted and expected. Like when we, when we show up here and things are nice and neat and in order, it says you're expected here. We've been waiting for you. You're welcome and you're wanted in our kids area. Come on, can we give it up right now for all our kids people? Come on, they're unbelievable. They're not just babysitting our children. They're teaching you know, our kids about Jesus on their level. And they showed up and made sure curriculum was ready. Craft stuff was ready. And that's just telling them, hey, you're not just, you know, welcome here. You're wanted here. We're ready for you. What did it say? The father was waiting. We were waiting on you guys. And you are welcome here. And you are wanted here. And our host teams, our coffee team, come on, let's give it up for our brew crew. Man, the best in the biz. Like God's only condoned drug of choice is caffeine. Colby, how do you know that? Because there's an entire book in the Bible called He Brews. That was bad. I know that was bad. But man, they, they are letting us know that we are welcomed and wanted here. And then our auditorium team setting the table, allowing us to, to come into this environment. And when the music is set and when the, the, the temperature is right, we're, we're saying, hey, you are not just Welcome here. You're wanted here. In fact, can I just challenge you? I'm going to sit down with you. <laughs> can I just challenge you even on the days that you're not serving, that you, you show up on mission? What do you mean, Colby? Here's what I mean. I mean that you show up because sometimes, let's be honest, I, I can come to church very easily and think it's all about me. All right. What do you have for me today? Is the music better be good? You know, the sound back here better be good, John. I see you back there. Like the, the preaching, we know the preaching is going to be good, but that should be good too. I'm just kidding. But a lot of times we show up with ourselves in mind. Do we not? What am I going to get out of this? God, what do you have for me today? But if you could just flip that and think, you know what, God, I'm going to come today. Because again, we think, man, I got myself ready. I packed up the kids and got here. So God, you're just lucky that I'm here today. So I need you to speak to me. But what if we said, you know what? God, I would love for you to speak something to my heart today. And that would be great. And I welcome that. But here's what I know is going to happen. That I'm going to give somebody a handshake. I'm going to look them in the eye. What's up? You're having good to see you, buddy. I'm going to, I'm going to meet somebody. I'm going to hug somebody. I'm going to say, hey, you are welcome and you are wanted here. So no matter what you do in my life today, God, I want you to use me to make others around me feel like they were expected and that they are accepted. Because when that happens, when people feel welcome and wanted, I know that they are more likely to connect to you, God. When they feel like the environment and the table has been set, I know that they are more likely to have an encounter with you. And when people have an encounter with God, guess what happens? Their life changes. Their eternity changes, does it not? And if we are going to, to be a church that knows God and makes God know, we're going to need more and more people to have that life-changing experience with God. So let them know they're welcome and they are wanted. And our teams do an incredible job with this. You really do. You are an amazing church. In fact, let me just say this. I, I know that most of you know this. If this is your, your home church, listen, we, we don't just attend church. We are the church. And we do not judge people's backstories here. If you're a prodigal and you're, you're coming to the house and you're not sure if you, you know how things are going to go because of what you've done and the past that you've had, we do not judge your backstories. Why? We all have them. 
Do we not? And there's only one person that can change your backstory and redeem your backstory. And his name is Jesus. And so we're going to do our best to just point you to him. So we don't judge your backstories. And if you feel like you're that person that needs to look down at others, you know, because, you know, their stuff is, is worse than your stuff and they're more broken than you're broken, you can feel free to take that to someplace else, just so you know. But here at this church, we don't judge backstories. You are welcome and wanted. You are expected and you are accepted here. And I'll say this about that and then I'll, I'll move on. Our job as a church is to the best of our ability, act like Jesus, which means I'm going to love people no matter what it looks like, because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And because we are all created in the image of God, we are all image bearers of God. So our job is to love and accept all of humanity, love and accept not to love and affirm because there's a big difference. You need to know that that I can love you without agreeing with you. Does that make sense? It's not to love and affirm, it's to love and accept. I know the world would have us believe that unless you agree with me, then you don't love me. But can I tell you something? That's not love. Just agreeing with someone, that's called falling in line. And the Bible tells me in Romans 12 too that I shouldn't do that, that I should not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind in Christ Jesus. So all that to say, because I don't necessarily agree with a transgender lifestyle does not mean I don't love you. Please hear me on that. Does not mean you are not welcome here or wanted here or accepted here. Just because I don't agree with the fact that you wanna run around on your husband or your wife because you don't feel loved at home and so you're having an extramarital affair. They're not giving you what you think you need. Does not mean I don't love you. Does not mean I have to agree with you but you are welcome and you are, are wanted here. So if you're a visitor, you just need to know that. God's the only one who can redeem our backstories no matter what we've been through and we all have a backstory. So the prodigal needs to know that when he comes home that he's gonna be welcomed and wanted. Number two, write this down, grace and truth. He receives grace and truth. Reread uh, verse 24 with me. It says, for this son of mine, okay, his son's standing right there, with a father, this son of mine was what? He was dead and now has returned to life. He was what? Say it out loud. He was lost, but now he's found. What's he doing? He's saying, I've already accepted you. I've already ran out to you. I've already given you a robe and a ring. I mean, you just, you know that you are welcomed and wanted here. I've demonstrated that, but real talk, you were dead. But real talk, you were, you were lost apart from us. Real talk, your decision to be separate from the Father, man, caused you a bunch of heartache and grief. And your life was in shambles. You were a mess. You were living with the pigs. Like you thought you had a better plan. You thought you could do it better on your own. He showed him grace and truth. Grace and truth. He said, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now found. In fact, he says, and your decision, here's some more truth, to return home, Man, that could save your life. 
For some of you, your decision to return home, your decision to come back to the Father, it's what is going to save your life. He gave him real truth. He didn't say, oh, you know what? You've been doing pretty good out there on your own. Hit a few bumps and bruises along the way. But now, you know, let's, we're going to try to do better this time. That's not what he said. He said, no, you were dead. You were dead. You were dying apart from the Father. He gave him the cold, hard truth in love. How many of you know giving truth is actually love? If it's done in love. A prodigal doesn't need somebody telling him, hey, you do you. You do you. You live your life. You live your best life. You live your reality. You do what you feel like doing. You know, go ahead. It's up to, up to you. Like, that's not what he needed. He needed grace and truth. Like, if my five-year-old son, Gray, came up to me and said, Dad, I feel like playing with a copperhead snake. Here's what I'm not going to say. You do you, buddy. <laughs> Actually, let, I take this back. If it was Gray, my five-year-old, I'd probably say, go ahead, right? And not because I, I, I trust him. I think he, he'd be fine with it. Colby, that's an extreme example. Yeah, but some of you, the decisions that you're making in the life that you are living is the equivalent to playing with a poisonous snake. Some of you are making some terrible decisions. And for somebody to come alongside and say, you do you. You live your truth. You live your reality. That is not grace and truth. Some of you are being told what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And by the way, our goal is not just to give you God's truth, but to, to give you our truth in the sense that not that it's different from God's, but we just want to be real and be authentic. Like if I'm being totally transparent with you, when we thought about planning a church, my biggest hang up and biggest fear was, I don't know everything. Like I know a 10th of everything. Like I don't even know a 10th probably. And there are pastors and preachers that as soon as they're asked a question about theology, they have the answer for it. And I always thought, man, I'm not perfect like them. I don't have it figured out like they do. Like I don't even know if I can do this. So we just decided from day one, we were going to be authentic. We're gonna be real. We're just gonna be us. We're gonna let you know, hey, we struggle like you. We have temptation like you. Some days we win, some days we lose. We deal with the same kinds of things. We don't have this all figured out. We don't know all the answers, but our job was never to say, hey, look at us up here. We have it all together. Our job has always been to say, hey, let's all look at God together and let's figure it out how he wants us to live our lives. Let's look at God when he says, hey, be holy as I am holy. And let's do our best to do that. Let's look at God when he says, hey, love your wife like Christ loved the church and was willing to give his life for her. Well, let's figure out how the best we can do that. Honor your parents and mother, your, your father and mother that, you know, you might have a blessing. How do we do that? Like that's been our, our goal. So we don't understand it all. We just want to be honest and transparent with you. We're learning with you along the way. And you know, along the way, we're going to have fun doing it. That's just who we are. It might be borderline inappropriate at times. That's just who we are. But we want to give you grace and truth. And here's something I can promise you. We will never have fun at the, the expense of omitting the gospel of Jesus. Never do that. In fact, we often say we'll remove every single barrier, you know, the church to, to someone who's far from God except the cross. At some point, you have to come face to face with who Jesus is and what he did for you. He said, I'm the only way to heaven. And if you're far from God, you're a prodigal, you need to know that. If you put your trust in him today, you can be saved and set free and you can have a fresh start. And here's the last one I wanna give you. 
And I'll lead into it like this. If you're, if you're a, a prodigal, you need to know that you are welcomed and wanted. You need to be given grace and truth. And then I just need to remind you that, that dad's not mad. That God's not mad at you. I don't know if you are like me, but when I first um, you know, became a follower of Jesus, I had this impression that God was just up in heaven, arms crossed, you know, white beard, looking down at me, just shaking his head. He's just so disappointed in me. And I understood through his word that he had to love me, right, and forgive me. But I'm thinking he could never like me. In fact, I envision God is just up in heaven looking down at me like, there's Colby. Look at him again. You know, I, he's my kid, but he's my stupid kid. You know, I just I don't know what to do with him. That's just kind of how I always thought. You know, God was looking at, at me. But don't miss this. The dad knew. The dad knew that the son was coming home in this condition, that the son was thinking about all the, 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 the condemning things that his father could have been thinking, the guilt and the shame. And in his head, he's like, I don't think dad even is going to like me. But look what happens. The father's like, I'm going to take care of that immediately. Verse 21, his son said to him, and here's that rehearsed apology. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I know I'm not worthy of this. I know you can't imagine, you know, me being a part of the family again. I know it's impossible for you to love me after what I've done. I'm not worthy. But the father said to the servants, just didn't even acknowledge him. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate. Someone here needs to know today, dad's not mad. He's not mad. He's not mad. In fact, he doesn't just love you. He likes you. I mean, the Bible says that you are the apple of his, his eye. Like his father did not even let him finish this apology. He cuts right in and goes, stop right there. Like you don't have to work for my love. You don't have to work for my approval. You are already loved. You are already approved of. You are, write this down, known and needed. Known it needed. And I'll have the band come help me wrap this up. He says, I'm not mad at you. I love you. You're part of this family. You are, you are known. And so what does he do? He gives him a robe. He gives him a robe. He says, put the robe on. This will be the robe of, of righteousness that says, hey, you are, you are welcome here and you are forgiven. No matter what you've done. The Bible says that, that we have been clothed in righteousness. And then when God sees us, if you are in Christ, all he sees is his son. He does not see your sin. He says, get the robe. Then he says, get the, get the ring. This would be like a, a signet ring. This would, this would say you are a member of this family. In fact, you have the authority of a signer of this, this family. This ring, if you've seen one of these rings, is if somebody made a, an agreement they wrote it down. They would seal it in clay or seal it in wax with this, this ring, making known that it was good. It was kind of like using a credit card. It's like, hey, you know, you are an authorized signer. So bring the ring. I want you to know that you are, you are known. Hasn't changed. You're, you're my child. But then look at this, and I, and I love this. And I don't know if I ever saw it before, um, even just last night as I'm going through this. He says, get the sandals for his feet. In this day, you would walk around barefoot and one of the first things that you would do when you got home or to a home is you would have your feet washed and made clean because then you would have clean feet inside the house. 
And so this son, just imagine him coming home after spending time in the pig pit, just spending all you know this time gone and eating pig food and sleeping with pigs. His feet are, are cracked. They're nasty, probably have pig feces in them. It's just nasty. And it's kind of the, the condition in which he is coming home. So he washes his feet and then he says, I want you to get the sandals for his feet. So the father took it to another level. He put shoes on his feet, which once again would bring him comfort, but not just bring him comfort, which would say, hey, we're not done with you. You didn't wear the shoes inside, you wore them outside. Saying, we're not done. There's still a plan for your life. You have a job to do. You are not just known, you're needed. You're needed as a part of this family. You are needed as a, a, a worker. You are needed to do a, a job here. You're needed. And let me just tell you, if this is your church, you're needed. You're needed. Like if you were a prodigal, you were far from God and you came back to God, like you're needed. God wants to, to clean us up, make us new, restore us, but then also give us a purpose and a plan for our, our life. We just all need to be reminded. In fact, if we wanna call this a, a front porch for prodigals, and people are willing to come home to, you gotta know that you are needed and you're known. And the verse 24, my favorite verse in the whole story, says the party began. That's when the good stuff happens. That's when this boy goes from, from eating pig food to eating like a king. He goes from being isolated to being the, the center of the, the, the biggest party that was happening in the community. He went from, from sleeping with the pigs to sleeping on you know 500 thread count Egyptian cotton sheets or whatever. And you need to know too that your life can change as well. That he came home because he knew his life could be better. Some of you that have been far from God, you need to know that your life can be better than what it's been. That maybe you've been doing it the, the hard way, like this prodigal. Maybe you've been living for yourself. Maybe you've been very far from God, but life can be better the moment you decide to run back home. So let's do this. Would you stand to your feet? And no one leaving, because we're gonna worship through this, but just close your eyes and bow your head and let me ask you a couple questions. And then we're gonna worship through this. We're all prodigals. Are you the rebel? I would say you've been living far from God. You've been separate from God physically. And now you're coming home to the Father. And I pray if that's you, that you would, you would experience the fact that you are welcomed and wanted. That yeah, you would get some grace, but you would also get some truth along the way. But you'd also know that God created you on purpose for a purpose. And that he has something for you to do. And I believe that you can find out and discover what that is as you are once again connected to the Father. Or maybe you're the, you're the other prodigal, you're the prideful. The one that's been looking down your nose at at others and judging their backstories differently than your backstory. And, and today you need to just be convicted of that and repent and say, you know what, God? Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna be a part of building your church that you've established. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, which one are you? And what do you need to do about it?
I know one thing you need to do if you are returning home to the Father, you need to know that He is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come home. And the moment you make that decision to come to your senses and want to return to God, to give your life to follow Him, He will meet you right there in that moment. The Bible says that as we come home, as we confess the reality that Jesus is Lord of our life and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. We'd have a, a fresh start. He would once again restore us that we would get a, a new life today, but we'd also get eternity in heaven forever. And so maybe that's where you are today. And I wanna lead you in a prayer that reconnects or connects for the first time your heart to the heart of the Father. In fact, you can say it out loud. You can whisper it. You can use your own words. Say something like this, God, today, I choose to come home to you. I know that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And so I'm going to give my life to follow him. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for going my own way. I repent and I come to you. And God, I pray right now for those that are making that decision that you begin to to develop in them just a longing and a hunger for you, God, a longing and a hunger for your house and a longing and a hunger to know what their purpose is for their life, why you have created them. And so God, we know that there's no one else like you and we choose to focus all our attention on you right now in Jesus' name.